Well, I invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 17. Hear now God's word. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money, from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, And all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was ninety-nine years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael his son was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house, and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Have you ever wondered, is God trying to tell me something? I think most people, even people who are not particularly religious, do so. We look for signs from God. We want assurance, and it is born out of a desire to have divine backing, divine approval. 
We face some big decisions in our lives. Sometimes it might be uh, a spouse. Should I marry this person? I, I, need a, I would like a sign from God to, to tell me whether I should do this or not or whether I should take this job or not. Wouldn't it be nice to have a sign from God, an assurance? Well, God first appeared to Abram and gave him promises when he was 75 years old. Chapter 12 gives us this information about his age. And a lot happens between chapter 12 and chapter 15, like a journey to Egypt and the separation from his nephew Lot and a war with some of the surrounding peoples. And so it is reasonable to assume that it is some years until God appeared to Abraham uh, Abram in chapter 15, between the first appearance in chapter 12 and the next appearance in chapter 15. Well, chapter 15, well, when God appears, he repeats the covenant promises and he underlines them emphatically with the covenant ceremony where God passes between the pieces of the slaughtered animals and takes the oath upon himself that he will indeed uh, be true to his promises. At least 10 years. The next chapter, in chapter 16, it tells us uh, that, uh, of Abram's sin with Hagar and it tells us that he was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. So 75, 86, that's 11 years. Chapter 15 uh, is probably closer to chapter 16 in time because you do have the, the sojourn to Egypt, uh, the episode with Lot, the war with the nations. So some years have passed. So little gap between 12 and 15. Then you have chapter 16. Well, the next appearance after chapter 16 is 13 years later where God appears to Abram in the chapter that we just read. So you've got this 24, 25 year period of Abram's life, 75 to 100 years old, as he says here, 99, 100 years old. God appears to him three times. Now he might have appeared to Abram more times than this, but the Bible only recognizes these three, only tells us of these three times. In chapter 13, it tells us that God spoke to Abram, but not that he appeared to Abram like he does in chapters 12, 15, and 17. These three times are recorded for us because they are very special appearances. God appears to Abram and calls him out of all the people in the world, calls him out of worshiping foreign gods and says, I want you to leave your family uh, leave your land, uh, pack it up and go where I tell you and, and be, be my follower. And he does. And then, uh, once again, uh, he, he, in chapter 15, God appears to him and makes those promises to him in that ceremony and then repeats them again in chapter 17 in the passage that we just read. And then, on top of that, gives him a sign and seal of this covenant, these promises that he makes. So we have three appearances, and in each appearance, subsequent to the first appearance, God does something, or gives Abram something, to give him further assurance, a sign from God. Now you see that these assurances that he gets in these chapter 15 and here in chapter 17 are necessary and gracious. God doesn't have to do this, but Abram needs this, and God knows it. Because you, you, you just have to look at what happens between the appearances. In chapter 12, God has said, you know, 
Come follow me. Uh, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you offspring. You're going to become a great nation and you're going to be a blessing to the whole world. Well, then a famine strikes. Even, Even though he's living in the land that God has promised to him, he abandons that land and he goes down to Egypt. And it's a mess. We looked at chapter, the end of chapter 10. It's just a mess that he creates in Egypt. He lies. Uh, he falls into all kinds. He loses faith. And then in chapter 15, God appears again and reiterates the promises. Even though he's blown it, even though he's gone the wrong way, uh, even though he's struggling, God appears to him again and he underlines it with a covenant ceremony. Well, then in chapter 16... You have the whole lapse of faith again. Instead of waiting on God and trusting in his promises and trusting in God to deliver those promises, he and Sarah take matters into their own hands and he falls into the sin with Hagar and the whole episode with Ishmael. And it's a mess. Then once again in chapter 17, God comes to Abram and and expands the blessings even more. Now, not only will you have uh, the land, you will have a child, uh, not not just... uh, a nation you will become, but you will, many nations will come from you. And I'm going to give you on top of that a sign, something extra, a sign from God, an assurance that will go beyond just the experiences that he had, something that he carries with him every day. And that's a reminder every day of the promises that God had made to him. Have you ever experienced a time when you, had, uh, you felt a closeness to the Lord? You got uh, perspective on life. You felt like, wow, you know, I hadn't felt like this in a long time. I see things clearly. Uh, I want to change my life. I want to do things differently. Your faith seems stronger, and you thought, this is a time of real change in my life. And you couldn't imagine going back to the old ways like you were before. Well, time passes, and sure enough, you return to the old ways. The momentum doesn't last. You kind of lapse back into some old habits, and you no longer feel that closeness with the Lord. Well, I think this is Abram's experience here. He had these mountaintop experiences in chapters 12 and 15 and here in 17 where God's promises come to him and the assurances come to him. But he needs something more permanent, something abiding, which will last beyond the mountaintop experiences. Something to assure him of divine backing and approval. And that is what he gets here in chapter 17. God gives him a sign and seal of the promises, the sign and seal of circumcision. Now this is an uncomfortable topic, circumcision but something that is very necessary for us to understand. And, and, it, and the first two points you're going to be thinking, why are we talking about this so much in such detail? But hopefully at the end you will see. Well, circumcision did not originate here in Genesis chapter 17. It was widely practiced already in the Near East. And it was practiced primarily, almost, uh, I would think, probably unanimously, as a rite of passage into manhood. It was practiced when uh, boys got to the age where they were to become men, and they were circumcised. But here, in what God has told Abram to do, 
we see that the circumcision is applied not to teenage boys becoming men, but to even eight-day-old babies. So the circumcision that was practiced in the world at that time was very different than what's being signified and sealed here in the circumcision that is given to Abram, Abraham here in chapter 17. What does this circumcision mean? Well, first of all, as you see in your outline there, circumcision signifies and seals inclusion in the covenant community established by the initiative of God's grace. As the sign of the covenant, it brought people into relation with the God of the covenant and with the people of the covenant. If you wanted to be involved in the people who had this relationship with God, the covenant relationship with God, if you wanted to relate to God, then the sign that you took upon yourself was circumcision. It meant, yes, I want to have a relationship with God. I want to be a part of that, uh, those people who have this special relationship with God, who, are, who have God as their God and who are God's people. And it also puts you in a relationship with everybody else who was God's people. You are all the covenant people of God. And circumcision also signified and sealed the cleansing and removal of defilement necessary to be in this covenant relationship. Now, we know that circumcision is practiced today not as a religious, uh, religious rite or ceremony by most people, Gentiles, I would say. Um, it is obviously still practiced by Jews uh, as a religious rite. But it's practiced in in society because it is uh, something that is uh, uh, cleansing. It helps with cleanliness and hygiene. And so the circumcision that Abraham was given points to that. This ceremony, this process is one that cleanses. But it, it points to something more than that. It points to the fact that we need to be cleansed in our, our flesh. Uh, we need, because of our own sin, because of our own self, our own nature, we need that cleansing. Now, back in chapter 16, Abraham's sin had to do with reproduction. And it is no, it is no coincidence that the sign that is given to Abraham that signifies his cleansing has to do with his reproduction organ. God is pointing to something here. He needs to be cleansed from his sin. Romans 4, and I've given you the passage there in the outline, tells us that Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. A seal, as I've told you many times before, a seal would be applied to, say, a document or a letter. A king, for example, would write a document and to authenticate it, to certify it, to protect that document, they would drip some wax on the letter and the king would put his insignia in the wax. Now, the letter of the document is a king's letter or document. If, if the king sit down and, and writes you a letter... It's a letter written by the king. Whether or not it has a seal on it does not make it 
a letter of the king. It is a letter of a king. The seal authenticates the letter for the person receiving it. I received the letter from the king. It is a letter from the king, and I am assured of that because it has his special seal on it, this insignia stamped in it. So I know, yes, it assures me that this is not a fake. It is not a counterfeit. It's not somebody pulling a prank or a joke. It's real. Circumcision is a seal. It authenticates something. It's not the thing itself. It just points to it, and it certifies it. Romans 4 tells us that circumcision was a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. In Genesis 15, 6, it's the famous passage, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He was declared acceptable to God by faith. Circumcision was a seal of this righteousness that he had by faith. It was a seal of the relationship he had with God. It was a reminder that God had reached out to him and had established this relationship, and he had trusted him, responded in faith, and it was a daily reminder to Abram, circumcision, a daily reminder to Abraham that, yes, I am acceptable in God's sight because of my faith that is signified and sealed, certified by the circumcision. Now, this, the sign of circumcision was also applied to children. It says eight days old, and that was certainly the practice throughout the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus himself circumcised on the eighth day. Paul circumcised on the eighth day, just like all Jewish boys to them, as well, it is a sign and seal that they have a relationship with God and that they need to be cleansed by Him. They have an obligation to follow God Almighty, to walk before Him and be blameless, as God told Abram. And God works through families. Look at, again at Romans 4. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. So Abraham was justified by God before he was circumcised, years before he was circumcised, at least 13 plus years before he was circumcised. So circumcision, the fact that he... Re- receive that makes him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so in Paul's day there were people who said in order to be right with God you have to be circumcised in order to be a Christian you have to be circumcised and Paul argued with them all throughout the New Testament here he's making the point look Abram was declared righteous by God before, years before he was ever circumcised. So circumcis- circumcision doesn't, doesn't make you righteous. It signifies and seals it. As well, he goes on to say, and, verse 12, and to make him not only the father of those who are not circumcised, but also the father of the circumcised, with a qualification those who are not merely circumcised, but also who walk in the footsteps of the faith 
that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So in other words, when a child was circumcised, they were obligated to have the faith of Abraham, not just the sign, but the faith of it. They got the sign, and it was a sign saying, God wants to have a relationship with you. God does have a relationship with you by virtue of you having at least one parent who is a God follower. And you are obligated to do the same. You should adopt the faith of your parent or parents. It's not just the physical act, but the faith that's important. To embrace the faith of Abraham. Now, just as a side note, you'll notice here that Gentiles are included in this. Even at the very beginning, it's not just those who are of the physical uh, descent from Abraham, but everybody. Verse 23 tells us that Abraham took Ishmael and all those born with his, in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised them, all of them. And certainly there were Gentiles, people who were not connected to Abraham's family. He was very wealthy. He had a lot of people working for him. He had Eleazar of Damascus, Syria, for example. So even at the very beginning, Gentiles are included in the covenant people. And we'll see it again in the Exodus. People who left uh, Egypt on the Exodus, with them were people who were uh, from different places, different nations. People who were not physical descendants of Abraham. They were included in the people as well. Well, this brings us to the second point, And I know I've got a short time, but it won't take long. The circumcision of the heart. If you do... Uh, a search on the word circumcision, you'll see that it's, it's mentioned 32 times in the, in the Old Testament. It's actually mentioned more times in the New Testament than it is in the Old Testament. I found that surprising. Ten times it's mentioned here in, in Genesis 17. Eight times it's mentioned in Joshua 5 when the second generation of those on the Exodus are, are about to start the conquest of the Promised Land. They all had not been circumcised because they've been wandering around the desert for 40 years. So the second generation is circumcised before they go and take over the promised land. And there are other various and sundry mentions of it. Uh, Leviticus mentions, again, the requirement to circumcise on the eighth day. Deuteronomy only mentions it twice, but both times it refers to circumcision of the heart. And that's what's most important, as we've been saying. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God you belong. To, sorry, behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart and love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples. As you are this day, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. It's repeated again uh, by the prophets later in the history of Israel. Circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Make the, make the outward reality of your circumcision an inward reality. So even at the very beginning, it was not just meant as an outward sign, an outward ceremony to mark you off as one of the, one of the members of Israel. 
That's true, it includes you in the covenant community, but it needs to be an inward reality of faith in God like Abraham had faith in God. As it says in Romans 4, he is the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. In Paul's day, he, as I said before, he fought with those who said, if you want to be a Christian, you must be circumcised. He says in Galatians 5, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. He goes on to say, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. See, both of those things point to the faith of Abraham and the washing and cleansing and regeneration that are required to be in a relationship with the Lord. And his position was confirmed in Acts 15 with the Council of Jerusalem. No, people do not need to be circumcised to become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, to become Christians, to be part of the church. If it's not necessary, then why are we talking about it? Well, that brings us to the last and final thing. We've already read Colossians 2. In Colossians 2, it tells us, In him also, verse 11, Also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. The circumcision of Christ is baptism. Baptism is the New Testament equivalent of circumcision. And just like circumcision, baptism signifies and seals certain things to believers and their children. Baptism signifies and seals inclusion in the covenant community established by the initiative of God's grace. And baptism signifies and seals the cleansing and removal of defilement necessary to be in this covenant relationship. See, baptism says to you, if you've been baptism as a, baptized as a child, it says to you, look, you're part of the covenant community. You have a relationship with God and his people, and you are obligated to be his follower, to take the faith of your parents. It says that you are in need of the cleansing that is provided by Christ. You need the life-giving work of the Holy Spirit in your life, in your heart. You, your flesh is defiled and you need the cleansing. You need to become a new creature in Christ, connected to Christ, united to him by faith, the same faith that Abraham had. So every time you think of your baptism, of course, many of you don't remember your baptism, of course, you were babies. Or maybe you got baptized as an adult. That would be good. You can remember that. Or any time you witness a baptism, you should remember it as a sign from God, an assurance that he is your God and you are his people. That he is your God and you are his people. Through faith, by grace, through the cleansing of forgiveness that comes through Christ, the power of the Spirit regenerating the heart, causing you to be a, a new creation. That's what baptism says to you. Baptism does not say that you are saved. Baptism is not a saving ordinance. Circumcision did not save Ishmael. It says here, promises are not for Ishmael, they are for Isaac. The promises are not for Esau, they're for Jacob. See, they were both circumcised, 
but they were not saved. They had the outward sign, but they did not have the inward reality. They did not embrace the faith of their father Abraham, of their father Jacob. What did Paul say in Galatians? Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Whether you're circumcision or not, it doesn't matter. Faith working through love. A new creation, that's what matters. The same is true for baptism. We have to experience faith working through love. We need to experience being a new creation in Christ. You must be cleansed and recreated from the inside out. And then, when that, is, when that reality is yours, your baptism witnesses to you. It authenticates you. It certifies as you remember it. And you think about your relationship with the Lord. I've been, before I knew anything at all, if you were baptized as a child, God was working, was working. He was reaching out to me. He marked me off to be one of his own, and I embrace him in faith like Abraham did. Do you have faith in Christ working through love? Have you experienced becoming a new creature in Christ? We've been singing about the change, you know. Uh, I, I was burned and, 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 you know, everything was darkness. And then I found a resting place. Then I, I found light and truth and salvation. Have you experienced that? That's what baptism is, is about. Is the outward sign that you bear an inward reality in your heart? Well... If it's not, like Abraham, like he did in this passage, all we have to do is humble ourselves before the Lord. You know, Abram fell on his face twice before the Lord. He turned to the Lord. He turned from his sin. He, he gave himself to God to do whatever God would have him. Call on the Lord. Call on him and he will not cast you aside. That's the promise that he makes. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Real change in your life is possible because God is, wants to change you and he will change you because he is he's the one who speaks the universe into existence. He has that kind of power and his word will affect you and change you. He will heal you. He will save you. You will be his, his child and he will be your God. Let's pray together.